Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church. What does church mean to you? We believe the church on earth is a spiritual family with a mission. These four weeks, we're talking about Grace Life Vision, what Grace Life is all about, so that you can know that Grace Life is your church. So let's know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world, and together be a part of my church. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? So good to worship with you. If you would help me welcome our guests who are here for the first time, wherever you are, either in the building or online, we're so glad to have you worshiping with us as well. Hey, I want to do two quick clarification type of announcements as we get started. The first of all, I'm, I'm excited that every single weekend we are seeing more and more people coming back into the building to worship here in person. And there is a side effect that has come with that. And that is that one of our services has gotten a little bit crowded already. Now, some of us are excited about that, but I also just want to go ahead and give a heads up to those of you maybe that are thinking about beginning to come back to worshiping with us here in person, that our Sunday second service, 1045 is, is, is really pretty crowded. And so if you are looking for the adequate social distancing measures at this point, I want to encourage you. We have two other opportunities. One of them is our first worship service of the weekend. That is Thursday evenings at 645. And the other one is our first service on Sunday at 9 a.m. So if you're looking for more space to feel good about that, uh, check out one of those two times because if you're coming to our second service, it's getting crowded. Just want to make sure everybody knows that. Uh, the second thing I want to clarify is we've actually been giving out uh, some conflicting information about our next first step. Our September 1st step is not the first weekend of the month like it always is, because that's Labor Day weekend. So come the 13th and the 20th, if you're new to Grace Life, great opportunity for you to, to get to know who we are, what we believe, what we do, and uh, also a great chance for us to get to know you. So September 13th, not Labor Day weekend. Well, everybody, we're actually closing out a series today. Today is the fourth and final part of a series we've been doing called My Church, What We're All About. And what we've been talking about is how to be an effective church in our world today because we don't want to just do an activity once a week. Matter of fact, that really kind of comes down to the point. We have four points to our vision because we do more than just worship services. We don't want church to be something we do. We want church to be who we are and what we are. And so all along, we've been talking about how church is a spiritual family with a mission. And we want that to be every moment of every day. And so real quickly, uh, all throughout this series, I've just been giving you a quick introduction to our four parts of the vision and where they came from. Once again, last time I'm going to do that again. And it actually comes out of Ephesians chapter one, and it was a prayer that Paul was praying for the church that he was working with there in Ephesus. So the first point of our vision comes as he begins saying, I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. First part of our vision is to know God. We want everybody to know God personally and deeply. We do this mainly through our worship services where we give an opportunity for everybody to know the good news of who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for them, but also to create a way where we teach the word of God in such a way that everyone is challenged to go deeper in their faith with them. Paul continues in his prayer, and he says, I pray that you'd have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And this is talking about what's going on inside of us. The second part of our vision is to find life. 
How many of you know you can be saved and going to heaven but having a miserable time on earth? But Jesus said, I came that you'd have life and have it abundantly. That's not just eternal life, but also our life right here, right now. And it's talking about the junk that has happened to us and in our souls. Because when it talks about heart, it's usually talking about our soul. And the eyes of our heart means that we see the world. We see our experiences. We see ourselves. We see God. We see other people. We see everything through the hurts and the wounds or the victories in our soul. And so we want to see that healed. And it turns out that God does most of that work through his people. The scriptures tell us that we go to each other so that we are healed. So we hope to find life through community, dedicated, committed to each other through our life groups. And then Paul continues his prayer saying, I pray that you may know the hope, which what is the hope to which he's called you. The third part of our vision is that you'd make a difference, that you would know that God put you here on earth to do something meaningful and powerful. And he made you to be you that someone else can't be, that he prepared you for good works to do something that would change the world before you were even born. And, and when you get in touch with that, man, your life will never be the same. And then he finishes his prayer with the final part we're going to be talking about today, saying, I pray that you would know what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe the fourth part of our vision is that we would reach our world? And simply put, why does that connect with knowing the glorious inheritance? How does that reach our world? Because if you've found a great restaurant, if you've ever seen a great movie, if you've ever been on a great vacation and stayed at the best resort, the first thing you always want to do is tell somebody else so they can go and experience that. And if we've experienced the glorious inheritance of being counted among the saints, if we've seen the power of God move in and through our lives, then we should want to share that with others. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, reaching our world. And as I say that, I know that everybody watching online or, or here in the room says, amen. Uh, you agree with the need, you agree with the reasoning, and yet most of us, there's something that makes us a little uncomfortable in that. Because as we talk about reaching our world, when we, we say, well, let's go do something as a group, you know, like let, let's go do some service project where there's a whole bunch of people and only a couple of you have to go talk to people. The rest of us can hide over in the corner. We're, we're okay with that. If we talk about somebody saying, hey, I feel called to be a missionary and I'm going to go, we're all like, hey, you go, man. We got your back. We're good with that. When we talk about the youth going on a summer missions trip, we're like, man, that's awesome. But let's be honest. We all know that reaching our world, not just Joe reaching his or Scott reaching his, but each of us reaching our world at some point means we're going to have to do something personal. We may have to talk to a person. We may have to do something that would put us in a position that can be a little bit uncomfortable. And I don't really know why. I mean, think about that. Do you know why that is? That we, we just get weirded out by the smallest thing. So I, I, I'll be the one to confess. I'll just tell you the truth. I was teaching school, but even at the point where I was teaching school, I was, a, you know, like a volunteer youth pastor in church. And so I was supposed to be what you would think of as somewhat like mature or at least somewhat bold, right? And uh, so this is kind of an embarrassing story, but hopefully it'll make the rest of you feel uh, good about yourself if you've ever been there. So there was a teacher that I knew uh, was, was looking for something in her life. And we had had some conversations about it, and I knew she was looking for something spiritual. Uh, I, I knew that she was looking for a, a good church and a home, and, and she was hungry, and I knew that, and we had talked about that. So we had this great thing going on at church, and, and we were all you know giving out invitations to all of our friends. And, and the craziest thing is when it came time to, to go and give her an invitation, 
I, I couldn't actually walk to her classroom and give it to her in her hand. That I put it in the teacher mailbox in the workroom, hoping she would eventually come across that invitation. I, I don't know what it was. It was such a a thing of like, oh my gosh, maybe I'll get rejected or maybe she'll say, how dare you bring a church invitation to work or whatever it is. We all have these things that go through our mind that just make us a little bit uncomfortable as we talk about reaching our world. And none of you ever struggle with that, do you? Right? Well, anyway, what we're going to look at today is a story in the Bible that I, I think will change how we see the idea of reaching our world and those weird fears or ideas that come into our head that make us sometimes not do that. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 7, looking at a story. But before we do that, I'm going to read two verses that come a chapter earlier, just because I want to set the stage a little bit. And let me give you the backstory for what we're about to look at. Uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, have come under attack from their neighbors, Syria. And uh, so the, the king of Syria has come. He has besieged the city and encamped around them. And things have gotten pretty bad. I want to read just two verses from the previous chapter so that we'll understand just how bad things are because they are bad. And so here's what happens in chapter 6. It says, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it. How bad was this famine? Well, it was until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, come on, y'all got to just say that's your favorite Bible passage right there, isn't it? I mean, I never thought that I would ever have to read that while I was preaching. That's one of those you just look over and go, really? What exactly were they doing with the dove's stuff? You know, I mean, you're driving down the road and it lands on your windshield and you can't wait to wipe it off. And they're buying it. There's, there's something going on. Well, let me set the context for you. The donkey's head, 80 shekels of silver. Before the siege took place, you could get an entire horse alive, working so that you could have a farm or, or transportation and take things to market. You could make money with this horse. You could have transportation with this horse. And the entire horse alive was only 150 shekels. You are now paying more than half the price for a head to be eaten once. And if you're not aware of these strange foods, a head does not come with a whole lot of meat. Half the price of a horse. It tells you it's bad. And the reason that I wanted to point that out is because in a minute we're going to come back and think about what it would be like to be in a situation that's that bad. So our main story, though, we're going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 3. And so the siege is going on, right? And it says, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, well, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we stay here, we die also. So now come and let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. It's already our future. We don't really, it's kind of logical. It's kind of funny when you think about that. Here's the deal. Uh, when you came uh, up with leprosy, you were cast out of the city. And, and so these guys had potentially been out of the city for months or even longer. And they had been forced to live as rejects from society because they had a highly contagious, uh, crazy disease that everybody was afraid of. 
And as they had that disease, when they had to go outside, the only food that they would get is what family or friends would bring to them outside of the city. So they've been in a condition of being rejected or despised and not having a lot of food for way longer than everybody else. And now as everybody else gets to a point that there is no food, they don't have any to bring out to these guys. So these guys are suffering probably the most of anybody, right? And so they're at a point where they're saying, well, if we go into the city, we'll get killed for having leprosy or we'll just starve along with everybody else. If we stay right here, we're already starving because nobody in there is coming out to help us. If we go over there, we could become slaves, but at least we might live. We, we may be able to live, maybe not, but maybe, at least there's a maybe. So they choose to go. And so the story goes on, says they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. And so they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. I can't pass up the opportunity just to kind of do a, a little encouragement for your life. So if you give me just a little time out here, I want to encourage you if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel and experience the Bible firsthand. It's going to change your life. And, and particularly the reason I'm bringing it up here is because this story is so unbelievable. I mean, really, like one of the world's great armies would just suddenly hear a sound and pack up and run off so fast they didn't even get on a horse to go, right? It sounds entirely crazy. Except when I was in Israel, uh, I was able to hear the stories. This actually happened again in the 20th century, just about 50 years ago. And when you can hear from the firsthand accounts of people saying, well, we just knew we were dead because there were just a few of us and there was a great Syrian army out there with tanks that outnumbered us. And when they woke up the next morning, all the tanks were empty, still sitting on the battlefield and everybody had run away because God caused the Syrians to see this massive army over on the Israeli side. And it brings faith to the Bible. It brings faith to you to know God is still a miracle God. God is still moving today. And as crazy as that story is, it happened more than once. And that's really just cool. But all right, so let's keep going because this is the point for us today. In verse 8, when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and they drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. And we can't blame them. Again, they've been despised. They've been rejected. They couldn't go to a store and buy new clothes. Their clothes were going to have to be thrown away if they ever were healed of this disease. Nobody wanted to waste anything. They've been probably wearing the same thing. It's probably worn through. It's nasty. They've had no food. They, they don't have money to buy anything. If you're a leper, you don't go to work. I mean, so suddenly they've got riches. They've got gold. They've got silver. They've got new clothes. They've got food. And they've got it all to themselves. They don't have anybody there that's, that's rejecting them because the only people there are lepers. So then they came back and they entered another tent and they carried off things from it as well. And they went and hid them. And then they said to one another, Man, this isn't right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now come, let us go and tell the king's household. 
This is a day of good news. Here's the thing. Their oppression has ended, and they don't know it, but we do. They are starving as we speak. Matter of fact, things were actually worse than we described earlier. Not only were they having to try and eat a donkey's head, the story goes on to tell of two women agreeing to trade each other's child. We'll eat your child today and tomorrow we'll eat your child. And there are historical records that back up that cannibalism actually was a result of some of the sieges that took place. It is so bad that at this moment, when they are burying silver and gold, some of their friends are back killing a child just to live through another day. And it finally hits them, what are we doing? I mean, this is good news. that They can eat. They can have their fill. There is so much food. And we know it, but they don't know it. Are we going to let them suffer? Look, I want us to see the parallel to you and me today as we go through this story right now. We know people who aren't going to heaven. We know people who would not call Jesus their king. And this story is a perfect picture of their reality because the Bible tells us that when we make Jesus our king, there is an immediate transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. There's no intermediate world. You don't hang around a little bit. There's no, we've just been good people living in good people land, you know, kind of in between heaven and heaven. No, it's not like that. We, every one of us, we are prisoners. We are trapped. We are besieged in the kingdom of darkness, not even knowing how bad it is or how bad we have it until we are rescued and transferred into the kingdom of his son. Every person that you and I know that will not call Jesus their Lord and Savior right now is besieged in that city. And we need to think about that. And here we are, while they are making the worst decisions for their lives, not even knowing that it could be better, just thinking, well, this is all I've got. This is all I can do. I don't have another choice. I've got to do this this vice or this habit or this this thing, or I've got to just be miserable, or I've just got to let my life fall apart or whatever it is, or I've got to work for my, my accomplishments, my career. It's the only thing that I find valuable. Whatever it is, it's all they know. And we're standing here with the good news of the kingdom of God. We know how long are we going to let them suffer. They are trapped without the eternal life or the abundant life Jesus came to promise them, and we have both. They said if we're silent, punishment will overtake us. And this word punishment here actually has two meanings, and I want you to to, to catch these because this is really important. The the first meaning of of the word punishment there is, is the internal punishment. It's guilt. That if if we remain silent and we see what happens to them while we're over here burying silver and gold, but, but we're watching them kill each other's children just to eat, the guilt is going to overtake us. It's going to eat us alive. And I don't know how many of you ever saw the movie Schindler's List. But I saw this movie long, long ago. I saw it whenever it was a new movie. And and there's a scene in that movie that has been burned into my memory that, that will never leave me. And if you don't know the story, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's an old movie. It's your fault if you haven't seen it by now. And it's a guy named Schindler who was rescuing Jews from the Holocaust by either paying to get them to come and work in his factory or actually buying them and then putting them to work in his factory. And as long as they had jobs and they were working and doing things, it kept them from being carried away. But he was eventually found out. And when he was found out, there's this scene in the movie as he's being arrested and he falls to his knees. And he begins to look around at what he still has. He sees his car. And he sees the buttons on his uniform. And he sees a ring on his hand. 
And he says, I could have bought one more. I could have bought one more. And I, I want to believe that we can't be people, that we won't be people whose hearts will be so hardened that we will not at some point look back and go, I had the good news you needed. I could have. I could have. I would like to think that we will not be so hardened that, that guilt would have no chance to come and say, man, you missed it. And so the real warning here is to be people who wake up today, just like the lepers did. Say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We cannot wait until this overtakes us. I don't want us to be people who wait to the point that we feel guilty for what we missed out on. I want us to be the people who go, wait a minute, this is a day of good news. We've got to go and share this. And we, we see the other meaning of punishment is the obvious one. It's the external punishment. Because there's the obvious thought, if we wait until morning, punishment will overtake. In other words, if we wait until morning, somebody's going to look out and notice the Syrians are not taunting us. In the morning, somebody's going to figure out that camp is very, very quiet. Somebody may come looking. And when they come looking and they find it empty with us in here feasting, we're in trouble, right? And they'll say, wait a minute, we don't want that kind of punishment. And what's going to happen for us as well, I want us to continue to, to keep this frame of mind, is eventually those people that, that were so afraid to share the good news with, were so afraid to invite the church, were so afraid to tell them that we're a Jesus follower, were so afraid to pray for them, whatever it is that we think, well, tomorrow, well, next week or whenever, at some point they are going to look out, at least I pray to God, at some point they're going to look out and they're going to discover and just imagine like this. This is kind of funny, but if you'll allow me. Someday you get to heaven and, and you find them there. And you look at them and go, you? Like, you're here? And they turn to you and go, yeah, no thanks to you. You know what I mean? Kind of like, here's the good news. I don't think that'll ever happen. And here's why. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to be glorified and not just in our bodies, but in our souls. And that means in our responses and our words. And, and I don't think anybody in heaven is going to be taking a jab at the person that didn't do something on earth. And so that'll never happen in my theology. Let me tell you what may happen in my theology. And that is you may meet them on earth a couple of months from now, a couple of years from now. And they looked out one day and they figured out there was something better. And you meet each other on the street and you say, oh man, it's so good to see you. You sit down, you have coffee and they're sharing their story of how God has changed their life and, and all that has happened, but they're gracious. They, they're good. They, they know that you went to church. They know that you knew the truth and they know, but they don't say anything because they're gracious. But there's a silent question hanging in the air and you feel it. You feel the, the punishment. Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you tell me? Why were you just going to leave me trapped when you, every week, went and celebrated the good news and you experienced the feast and the presence of God? Look, I read the opening verses of this passage of having to eat a donkey's head and everything else as well as the following story where the women were agreeing to eat each other's children. Because I wanted you to see how bad that was so that we can understand that what our friends who are not headed to heaven are experiencing doesn't begin to compare. Having to 
have dinner with a donkey's head is nothing compared to eternal punishment in hell. I mean, are you with me? Are you tracking? It doesn't begin to compare. To have to experience your entire life under spiritual oppression here on earth when neither of those need to happen because all of us have the good news. We have discovered the camp of freedom. We, we see it. We've got the silver and the gold and the food. So the question for us is, are we going to be people who have the leper's first response or the leper's second response? Are, are we going to be people who eat and feast up and then go and, and bury the treasure for ourselves? Or are we going to be people who go, wait a minute, and, and, and let me just, can I just give everybody a little bit of a ah, deep breath and a little bit of permission? Like, it's okay to have the response they had in the first tent. It's okay for that to be your first response as well. Because when you have been starving, when you have been suffering, when you have been lost in the kingdom of darkness, and when you discover the riches of God, as the, as the scripture said that we got our vision from the glorious inheritance and the saints. When you discover this and when you come to a point of, of being able to walk into a place to worship or, or go online and worship and you feel the presence of God, something that you haven't felt in your life before, and you know that you're forgiven and you experience that freedom, it's okay for you to just stand there and go, thank you, God, and enjoy the goodness of God. The problem wasn't them enjoying the first tent. They had been starving themselves. Their clothes were worn out. They had no money. There was nothing wrong with going, wow, look what we found. The problem was when they buried it and came back for more. And the problem with some of us is that we never get the conviction of the second tent. We just keep coming for another worship service and saying, oh, God's great. And we're singing songs and we're going, man, that worship was amazing. And we get touched by the preaching and, and we just keep going to our life group and enjoying fellowship and encouragement from other people. And, and we keep doing things that we've discovered God has put in us to do and to serve. And we feel like our life is meaningful. We just keep doing and we keep doing and we keep doing. And we have forgotten that we've left people behind that don't have any of that. They don't have any of it. They're suffering without it. And I hope that we're going to be people who say, uh-uh. We have discovered the glorious inheritance in the saints. We are going to be people who look back at our friends and say, come on, you don't have to be trapped in the city. This is a day of good news. So let's go ahead and pick up the story right there. If you've never read the story, you can imagine at this point, they are about to be like patted on the back big time. They are about to be celebrated, right? I mean, these four rejected, despised people are about to bring the end of all the bad news and all the good news and set everybody free. You, you expect they're going to get like robes and, and all kinds of celebration. And if you've never heard the story, I'm sorry to tell you that's not how it goes. So here we are in verse 10. So, so they came and they called to the gatekeepers of the city and they told them, hey, we came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. So then the gatekeepers called out and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what they are up to. Let me, let me tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know we're hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp and they've hid themselves in the open country thinking when they come out of the city, we will take them alive and then we will get into the city 
And one of his servants said, hey, let's just take some men, take five of the remaining horses, seeing that the, those who are left, they're, they're going to suffer the same fate as the whole multitude of Israel that's already perished. In other words, everybody's dying here. So if it is an ambush, let them just get a jump start on it. They're just going to die tomorrow or next week. We'll just send them on out on horses. We'll find out what have we got to lose. They're going to die either way. And so let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, go and see. You see, you may have expected the people to come rushing out and go, thank you for the good news, thank you, we celebrate. And then you just see the masses come running out, take off toward the camp, but they didn't do that. I mean, these people are starving, and they don't move. Instead of being met with a celebration, they're met with skepticism. And this is what happens to many of us, and the reason that I think I put that invitation in the teacher's box instead of in her hand because we've invited someone before. We've told someone before about what Jesus has done for us, and someone has looked back at us, and instead of responding with, thank you, that's what I've been looking for. Thank you for inviting me to church. That's what I need. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. I know that's what I'm missing. Instead of getting that response of, wow, you've got the good news, they say, oh, I don't want to hear about your stupid Jesus stuff. Oh, I tried church. That doesn't do anything for me. And instead of being met with celebration because we have just given them the answer to eternal life and abundant life, we get met with skepticism. I don't want us to miss this parallel either. Do you know why they responded as a skeptic? Because they were seeing this through the lens of war. Matter of fact, it was the very same thing they had done to one of their enemies before they had gone and hid and when people came they overtook them and they won they knew the strategy because they were thinking through the lens of war we are besieged our enemies are doing what we did one time to our enemies the only thing they could see is the war and their response was one of war no 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 don't fall into the trap don't walk into the ambush don't miss this. The people in our lives that need the good news the most, it's also about war. Because they are trapped in a kingdom by the enemy. And he does not want them free. And unfortunately, every good news you bring, the invitation you bring, the, hey, come to church with me, or hey, let me pray for you, it might be met by some resistance because your outreach, your prayer, your good news, your invitation is actually part of the spiritual warfare over their lives. Your good news is part of the warfare. And so it may be seen through a lens of war. And so I want to encourage us, if we are going to be people who reach our world, we've got to have the right expectation. That means that when you say, hey, let me pray for you, someone may not always be excited about it, but we can't stop. And here's why. If we're going to keep the context of they were in a war and they saw through the lens of a war, let me give you the analogy. When a soldier goes into war, 
and somebody on the other side shoots back, they're not surprised. They expect it. They're prepared for it. And they continue forward in the battle simply because the battle needs to be won. And if we can understand that there is a spiritual war over the lives of our friends, then don't be surprised if the first time you invite them to church, they say, nah, not for me. Don't be surprised that the first time you pray for them, they act very awkward or maybe even refuse to let you do it. But just like every other soldier going into war, we don't go because there is a thank you party halfway in. We go because there is a battle that needs to be won. They need to be rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the sun. And that's what we've been left here to do. It's to reach our world. It's our very mission. And don't miss the other parallel. The king told them to go and see. Only. When their fate, if they stayed, was worse than if they went. You're going to have some people say, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus. I don't want to hear it. They don't want to go and see. They want you to come to church with me. I don't want to go to church with you. They don't want to go and see. Because they have yet to discover that their fate is worse if they stay. And that's where we just pray the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in their heart and begins to show them how bad it is besieged in that city. We, we can never take away the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing to bring them to a place that says, all right, yes, yes, I will go and see. I will come to your church for Christmas services. I will come for Easter. Okay, you can pray for me because I have told you you can't do it forever and it hasn't been working. So you know what? I'll, I'll give you a chance. I'll go and see. But if you don't give up the fight for your friends, they're going to reach a point. I believe led by the Holy Spirit, they will go and see. Just like they did. We're going to be a church who reaches our world because the world around us has been besieged by an enemy. We can't lose sight of that. It's what God left us here to do. It was the very mission Jesus gave us. Go, make disciples. The original language is actually saying that as you were going, make disciples. I mean, you don't have to get on an airplane every moment of every day, as you're going about your life, as you're going about your job, as you're going across the street to your neighbor, wherever it is. Speaking of that, we have a little phrase that we use as we talk about reaching our world here at Grace Life, and, and the phrase is across the street and around the world. It was a phrase that God gave me years ago as I was preaching on outreach one of the first times, and uh, somebody actually just published a book with that title, and I thought, man, I missed it. But anyway, it's a, it's a God thing, I guess. Across the street and around the world. Here's the point. Somebody's going to get on a plane and go very, very far. Somebody needs to walk across the street and knock on a neighbor's door. We're surrounded by lost people. We're surrounded by people who are trapped in the kingdom of darkness. We work with them. We go to family reunions with them. There are nations filled with them. We need to do across the street and around the world. As a church, we've committed to doing local and uh, outreach and, and community events that make Jesus famous. Where we live, wherever that is. For us right now, it's mostly right here in Columbia. And, you know, we do things like our, our summer of serve. We go all the way from Memorial Day to Labor Day this weekend. We are 
uh, wrapping up events that we've been doing all throughout the city for the whole whole summer long. And, and this, this summer has been the hardest. It's been the weirdest because with the lockdown and COVID, it's been very difficult to get out and, and do some things physically hand to hand that we would have done in the past. But we've, we've done what we could. Matter of fact, we've changed some things. And because of that, we've done more blood drives and given masks to hospitals and, and done different sorts of things. Whatever the opportunity is to make Jesus famous is what we've done. We want to be people who are always looking for the personal invitation and the personal conversation. Matter of fact, in about two series from now, every year we take a couple of weeks to always do a global outreach series. We don't ever want to lose sight of reaching our world. It is so important. And as a part of that series, we have a guest speaker who is coming. I just want to go ahead and put it on your radar because hopefully this will be important to you. But on Saturday, August 24th, the speaker we have for that weekend will be doing a special teaching here on Saturday. Details will come later. I just want to go ahead and if, if this touches your heart, I want you to be prepared for it. His specialty is helping people come to know Jesus without being weird, but just living your life. He's got the most amazing stories of getting his friends to just come and watch a TV show with him every week until they discovered he was a normal person, a real person, and he loved them. And then when they finally figured out they were besieged, he was ready with the good news. See, a lot of the reason we're scared with the idea of reaching our world is because we think it means we have to become the weirdo in our world. Oh, here comes the weird dude. He's always inviting you to church. Watch out for him. And we don't want to be the weirdo. Well, this guy will help you figure out how to reach your world without being spooky and weird and everything else. Anyway, if that touches you, October 24th. We also have global partnerships all around the world. One of the things we're most excited about is there is actually a, a list of people groups that do not have scriptures. They do not have anyone working among them to tell them who Jesus is. They don't have a known population of Jesus followers, an entire ethnic people group. There's a whole list of those people groups. And at Grace Life, we've partnered with some uh, local people to go. We've adopted four of those people groups to see them come to know Jesus and really excited for that. So look, I could just stand here all day and tell you about the things we try to do here in the city, the things that we hope you are doing in your own lives, the things that we want to do all around the world. The bottom line is we know we're the lepers who found a camp of blessing. We've experienced the glorious inheritance of the saints. I wake up every day knowing that I'm going to heaven. I wake up every day and I don't shake with fear for my children's lives because I know they're in the hands of a good, loving Father, God. I wake up every day with a smile because of the life that God has given me as I've gone into the first tent and found these great riches. We've got to be people who share what we know. So there you go. Four parts of my church, what we're all about, who we are. I want to encourage you and maybe invite you, especially for those of you that have been new to Grace Life over the last couple of weeks. If this vision has excited you, come and be a part of it. We are going, to the best of our ability, to be a church is trying to be effective in our ever-changing world because our world will always need 
to know God. They'll need to know who Jesus is and what he's done for them. Every day, there are people born who don't know. And those people grow up every day. People need to know. There will always be people who need to find life, who need people around them that help them experience the abundant life that Jesus promises, that to not be alone, to not have to struggle through everything, that there is hope. There will always be people who need to make a difference. They need to know that life matters and you were made to matter. You were made by God to matter. And then we will always need to reach our world because there will always be people who are trapped and besieged and waiting for someone who's been rescued to come and rescue them. So again, this is who we are as a church. It's what we want to do. It's far more than one hour a week and checking a box. I hope that we can commit to doing this together as a family. And again, if anyone is new and says, that excites me, I want to be a part of that, then come and be a part of it. Because a church is not a building or a time of the week. It's a spiritual family. And that's who and what we are. And we know one more thing. We can always do significantly more together than we can on our own. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you've given us lives that matter, that you've rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, that you have given us so much in the community with each other and the, the riches of being saved and forgiven. God, I pray right now you will compel us to be people who look and say, wait a minute, I've got all this for a reason. I can't do this while I've got friends who suffer alone. I, I, I've got to bring them with me. I've got to share what I've discovered. God, I pray it won't be a, a guilt thing. We don't want to be the lepers who only are thinking about the punishment that could come. We want to be the ones who say, whoa, wait a minute, this is good news. Let's go and share the good news. God, make us those people. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that as we've shared communion and Kent talked about Jesus pouring out his blood for you. And as, as we've talked about the need to reach our world, maybe some of you, as you've been watching this and worshiping today, you've come to the realization that you're one of those people still trapped. You've never called upon the name of Jesus to save you from your sins. You've never acknowledged your need for him to be your Lord. And if you want to make a change, I'm going to lead you in a conversation with them simply wherever you are, in your living room, in this room, it doesn't matter. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that I am forgiven. I thank you that I'm loved. In my simple prayer here today, that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.